Well, good morning, everyone. It is my pleasure to welcome you. Uh, Extending Mark's welcome this morning uh, on this winter's morning. I hope you are doing okay considering our familiar, I suppose, and current circumstances. My name's John, and uh, yeah, I'd just like to continue to to express my uh, thanks for joining us and and your your, your welcome uh, to join us uh, each Sunday as we live stream at this point in time. Uh, added to Wally's announcement, though, is that we'd like to also share a big congratulations uh, to Isaac and Iris, who had a little baby boy this week as well. And so we want to uh, extend uh, a great blessing and thanks to the, to the Lord uh, because of their little baby boy, Matthew, who was born only a few days ago. So big congratulations uh, to them as well as uh, as Sean and Jody too, as Wally mentioned. Uh, but this morning we continue our series called Jesus the Game Changer, and we're going to explore how the gospel interacts with the, with culture, how it crosses cultural divides uh, and makes an impact uh, on people in all cultures. And so we're going to have a look uh, at Acts 17. And uh, as I, I read through that in a moment's time, uh, we, we will see, I hope, that Paul uh, talks about and shows us a way in which we interact with culture and the gospel interacts with culture. For from the earliest days of, of Christianity, uh, we can observe that the gospel is a message that crosses cultures. Uh, cultural divides mark the human race and experience and then... A, Along comes Jesus with his birth as he's sent in the first century uh, and makes an impact on different people in different parts of society and from different cultures. We see uh, him impacting leaders in Roman-ruled cities such as Pilate. We see him interact uh, or impact men from the east who come and worship him. We see him impact poor shepherds Uh, from Israel, the hills of Israel. And so the story of Jesus and his life and his ministry, his death and his resurrection intersects with a variety of cultures and leads them to come and worship God. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to turn with me to Acts 17, verses 16 through 34. And we'll read of the experience that Paul had when he was in Athens in the mid-first century. And through this experience, I think we're able to see how he interacted with people, but also observe uh, how he brings culture and the gospel together. So let me read this uh, and follow through if if you like. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshipped God as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be preaching, uh, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he, has, is, he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Areopagus and said, May we learn about this new teaching you are presenting? 
because what you say sounds strange to us and we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar to which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in shrines made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Since we are God's offspring then, we shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art and imagination. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the, by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him and others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysus, the Areopagite, a woman named Damaris and others with them. Well, let's pray uh, and then get into it, eh? Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, our time together this morning. We thank you uh, for the opportunity uh, to worship you and to come to you uh, this morning to sing songs, to pray, to to have communion in, uh, in a few moments. Uh, Lord, we uh, lift up your word and may you help us understand it this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. (coughs) Excuse me. Well, it is often easier uh, to observe the values in another culture uh, than it is in our own. I certainly think that's the case. Uh, because we are in our own culture like fish in water. Uh, we are surrounded and consumed by it. Uh, we live in it. It is harder to discern what is truly of culture and what is, uh, of our culture and what is and society and what is not. Um, take the value of hospitality, for example. Uh, I've always thought that I had grown up in a very hospitable home. Uh, I would like to think that I myself am very hospitable. I would like to think that many of my friends or can observe my friends are great with hospitality uh, as well. However, after living in the Middle East uh, some 15 years ago now, lived there for a few years, um, well, there I was shown hospitality like I'd never experienced before. The constant invitations to visit, 
the amount of food and the expression of that food and meals provided in the homes, the opportunity to whittle away hours and hours and hours just sitting there and chatting and getting to know one another. This was considered much more valuable in Middle Eastern culture than it is in our Western, my own culture. In the Middle East, there comes an honour with having someone around at your home. There is an honour when someone comes and visits, uh, when they say yes to coming to your house. uh, uh, The opposite end, though, there is also a shame when someone says no or doesn't come uh, and visit after being invited. And even the way the house is set up is especially designed in order to facilitate and show the value uh, of hospitality. So for we in the West, specifically I suppose in in Melbourne, in in our culture, we're not going to be offended if someone doesn't come around to our house next week when we say, oh, you know, come around for a meal, that'd be great, come on by. And we're probably not going to feel particularly honoured either, are we, if they do come around. We're going to say, oh, that's nice, we had... We had people come around to our house the other day and that's sort of the extent of it. It's it's people coming around. The way we sit out our houses is probably more to do with how we, you know, our sleeping arrangements or our eating arrangements or our, our entertainment rather than a concern for how and where visitors might sit when they do come to our house and, and what room would be best to set up and, and honour them in that way. I mean, even, even to push it a little further, I remember distinctly that as a room is set, a sitting room is set up for someone to come and visit uh, in a Middle Eastern home, there are subtle levels of honour going on within that room itself. You can tell that the most honoured person in that room is the one that is in the middle of the room, who has been come into, right into the centre of that room, who is next to the heater and who is next to the host. That is the most honourable position of the room. The least honourable position of the room is the one nearest the door, where it's a bit cooler, the draught's coming through. You're further away from the heater, from the host, and you're closer to the exit. Little subtle uh, things that, you, that they value, the, the honour and, and shame going on. Uh, some things that we don't even think about uh, when we have people over or think, uh, think about as what we value uh, in our culture. And I share that because I think it's helpful to recognise that uh, there are larger and smaller details in cultures, in every culture, that show what we value. And perhaps in ours, everything from the way we drive to the way we wear, to the phone we have, to the, how we speak, to what the news headlines are, they all show what we value They all show what we value in our culture in some form. I give insight into it in some form. And as we read this passage here of Paul's adventures uh, to Athens, we see how he gained insight into the city. And keeping in mind, uh, he he did that while keeping in mind the gospel and wanting to share the the story of Jesus to the people of Athens. But we see how how he observed the culture. And that is my first point this morning, uh, that we first see Paul do some observation. He observes what's going on. 
In verse 16, we read that Paul observes the culture. He said while Paul was waiting for them, his friends who had left in another city previously in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw the city was full of idols. As he waits for his friends uh, to arrive, he takes a look around the place, sees it is full of idols, like physical idols made of wood and stone uh, and other materials that people believed in and worshipped. And these were the gods of the city. And Paul is deeply distressed by it. When we look around our city, uh, what are the things we can observe? What are the things that our city values, do you think? I'm going to suggest a few. You may or may not agree. Uh, but here are some things I thought we might, as, a, as Melburnians, uh, value. Education, uh, whether public, private, Christian or Catholic, schooling, education is important for our city. Uh, It's part of the city's conversation, the way people are viewed, the way we might view others, uh, how others view us, the expectations of people given their education. Politics, to a certain extent more so the last 18 months than perhaps ever before. Uh, Cafe and coffee culture, that's certainly uh, something that plays a part in our city's lifestyle. It sort of gives a buzz to our city, perhaps. Real estate, the number of pages uh, in the paper, particularly the weekend paper, uh, like the lift-outs and so forth, uh, dedicated to real estate is extensive. It's huge, it's long. And the conversation around owning a home, the affordability of owning a home, where to buy, where, what it says where you buy, uh, what the market is doing, all part, again, of our city's conversation and, and conversation at work and, and, uh, and with friends. Certain personalities, perhaps, whether we want to name them as celebrities or not, but there are certain people with, with different platforms in our city that make the news or make commentary on our city and what is going on in, on the radio, on the TV. Think of Neil Mitchell, think of Eddie Maguire, think of Andrew Bolt, Virginia Trioli, Think of John Fain, Ross Stevenson, anyone on your AM dial perhaps. Um, These people are our city's personalities and and have a platform that speaks uh, into our city and our cultural values. But perhaps the biggest of the lot, and I suppose you could probably guess this one, that drives much of our city and shows what we value is, is sport. AFL particularly, isn't it? AFL football, whether we like it or not, whether we follow it or not, well, you can't really get away from it. It's there in the online and in our papers and so forth and plays a big part of our city's culture. And the point is that as Paul observes the city of Athens and sees what it values, we also can look around and observe what goes on in our city or our suburb or our council, whether large or small, what are the values that are placed or or that are prominent in our culture? Because knowing what our cultural values are, well, that helps us navigate how we might engage with culture, particularly with the gospel. And this, I think, is what we see Paul do next. We see engagement. 
verses 17 and 18. So he reasoned in the synagogues of the Jews and with those who worshipped God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be preaching a preacher of foreign deities because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So here Paul is engaging with people within the culture, within the city. He doesn't stand aloof. He doesn't go it alone. He doesn't make his judgments alone, but he goes and engages with people. He goes and has a chat to them. And it's very typical of what Paul does, uh, that he goes first to the Jews in their synagogue and, and reaches out to them and, and, and engages with them, but he also heads out to the marketplace, the, the place where they are selling goods and services. He goes to where the people are, engages with the people, what they're talking about, and comes uh, and observes and then engages with the city's conversation. And we read how he engages with the philosophers of the time, the Epicureans and the Stoics. You see, the Epicureans derived their worldview uh, from Epicurus, funnily enough, uh, whereby the chief goal in life is to attain the maximum amount of pleasure and the, minim- and the minimum amount of pain. And they said, in effect, that this life is all there is. You, you only go around it once, and so if it feels good, do it. If it doesn't feel good, stay away from it. Avoid it. Avoid what hurts. And they tried to create a lifestyle then that would achieve maximum uh, pleasure and maximum good upon their philosophy. And in many ways, it is somewhat similar, I suppose, to, to our Western culture today. Avoid what is bad and painful. Do what is pleasurable and so-called good. But the Stoics, well, they gained their worldview from a man named Zeno, uh, who came from Cyprus and taught that life is filled with both good and bad. And that you can't really avoid the bad, so what you have to do is just grin and bear it. Uh, Perhaps this isn't so much of a prominent worldview in in our day, in our culture, but it's, uh, there are certain strands of it that come through when we hear phrases such as, it is what it is, uh, I can't complain, now, there's nothing much I can do about that, uh, you've got to take the good with the bad, that kind of thing. And the challenge for us uh, is, is to continue to engage with people and their ideas. It is so easy, isn't it, so easy to move on in the conversation to scroll past quickly without interacting. Not sure what it might be for you, but how might you interact uh, with people in your regular activities? Through the workplace, the cafe you get coffee from, the the kids' dance club they're involved in, through the kinder or school parents, through... through classmates, that sort of thing. Perhaps it's even through family events or probus or rotary club, that kind of thing. Whatever the case it might be, uh, what ways or, or in what regular activities of life may you find yourself engaging with people uh, in our culture? And what might be their story and how might 
the story of Jesus interact uh, with their story. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. And so the third thing we see then is that Paul uh, is then given opportunity. We see opportunity present itself for Paul. In verses 19 to 21, he's given opportunity to speak uh, to the people that he is engaged with. They're intrigued by what he's saying. I encourage you to turn to your Bibles and have a quick read of it if you uh, can. But he has been telling the story of Jesus and the gospel with these people and they are intrigued. They want to know a little bit more. Often we think that our friends and family or our neighbours aren't all that interested in the faith side of life. In fact, sometimes I think we convince ourselves that it's so, it's so uh, uh, hard to talk about faith because we never really talk about it. Uh, it's not often talked about. But in conversation, when we drop that we go to church on the weekend or that we were involved in a particular uh, faith-based activity or that we've read a good Christian book recently or we might offer to pray for someone, uh, perhaps what we share on our social media feeds, all of these things, uh, even showing the slightest care or interest in someone else who, who is surprised by that perhaps, these sorts of things can pique the interest of others. We can engage with people in the deeper things of life, speak Christianly into them uh, and into the cultural conversation of what's going on in our day and in our times. And it often piques people's interest when we do engage and when we do uh, speak into that opportunity. We aren't given insight into whether Paul spoke to a large chunk of the population or a very narrow and small part of the population. Uh, but he is given this opportunity to speak to more people at this place called the Areopagus. There's a place also known as Mars Hill, a place of assembly where the Supreme Court of the city would meet and other religious courts of the day would also gather uh, to talk, evidently talk about some ideas, but they would also convene and make decisions and talk about uh, the, their ideas. Now, we... We may not have the opportunity to speak to the higher-ups of our city uh, like Paul does here, but in his speaking to the gospel, he has piqued the interest of others, of these people in Athens. And in a similar way, we're often given the opportunity to speak into other people's lives or when they are intrigued by what we believe or what we say or what we share or how we act. Through the hope and the joy that we have in Jesus that is expressed in all those different ways, well, sometimes it just intrigues people, piques people's interests a little bit. And some may brush it off, obviously. Some may skip through not wanting to talk about faith and uh, religion and Christianity, but others may well be drawn to, to it and want to understand it more. Through engaging with people and then seeing the opportunities and being given opportunities as they come by, uh, it enables us to connect. Connect with people, but connect also faith and culture, what we value uh, together. And we see Paul do this in the uh, next, passage, next few verses. We see that Paul makes the connection between the gospel and the culture in the things that he says to the people here at the Areopagus. 
see earlier. Uh, so fourth, sorry, uh, the co- connection between gospel and culture. So earlier we see that Paul was observing and engaging with the culture, what he was doing, but he did this with his gospel, what I'm going to call his gospel glasses on. Uh, that is like putting on physical glasses to help us see, to help us read, to, to shade us from the sunlight. Uh, we need to intentionally put gospel glasses on. Uh, that is in our observation, in our engagement with people, through the opportunities that we have, we look with intent through the lens of faith to, to how God might speak into certain situations, how the gospel may interact and make connections between what people are going through, what people value, and uh, the Christian faith, and, what, and what, how, how we uh, can express that. And we see Paul doing this as he observes, as he engages, and now as he is given this opportunity, here in verses 22 to 31, we read of what he actually says and does with this. Paul engages people in such a way that he enables them to see the connection between what they value and the gospel, what they value and the story of Jesus. In verse 22, Paul tells them how he sees that they are religious people, a people who are inclined to worship. In verse 23, he tells them what he saw as objects of worship, of wood and stone, and even coming upon an altar that was dedicated to an unknown God. And so from, verses 24, from verse 24, we see the way Paul connects that back to the gospel as he walks through. Paul begins by telling them of a creator God, God who has created and made the world and everything in it, that he is Lord of all and he doesn't live in physical objects such as these idols of wood and stone that they have. He isn't restricted to a particular place, a particular temple or particular rituals. Rather, this creator God is everywhere and to be worshipped by all people from all, across all cultures. And in using the poets of the day in verse 28, Paul shows that people have a direct connection to God. We've been created by God, have a close bond with him, find our identity in him. In this way, we are his offspring. We are are God's offspring. We are his children. We are children of God. It shouldn't be surprising to us that we find this similar thought in other writings of Paul. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, it says, For you are all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And in his letter to Romans, chapter 8, verse 14, It says, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are children of God. In our connection and relationship as part of God's family, we don't require rituals or images or or places or particular styles in order to worship him. We might favour some or prefer some, but what is required of us is to come to him, to repent and to recognise him as Lord of our life and of our heart. And this can be unpacked more, which I'm not going to do, but we see the way that Paul connects the story of God with the story of Athens. And he goes from this picture of God as creator, this broad picture of God as creator, rather than the created idols that these people in the city are worshipping and make for their worship, 
And he then gets into the details about the images and the idols and the religious worship that they undertake. And so as an idea I had this week, I thought, why don't we do that for, our, for a couple of things that our city, our culture values? We think about this for our own culture and perhaps the two clear examples are, or, or two examples that I will use this morning are for sport and for education. And so I've, I've written this and, and, and will present this now in a way in which Paul, let's say Paul has written this. I'm, I'm sort of using some of his, his language and so forth. But I, I want to do that so that you can, you can grasp what I mean when he, I say he brings culture, brings culture and the gospel together. Uh, so so let, me, let me present uh, the sport one first. Let's see. I hope you can get this, what I mean. People of Melbourne, I see that you are religious in your zeal for football. As I read, as I read the Herald Sun, as I walked down Swanson Street, as I had coffee at a cafe in Fed Square, and then as I headed into the game at the G, I saw your places of worship. I even came upon statues dedicated to the sporting achievements of past players. I see you value this great auditorium, the MCG, where you descend to watch contests each week, when you can, uh, where, where you come to show your support, to shout and cheer for the players that are on your team. I even see you fork out funds for the privilege of doing so and pass the tradition onto your children and onto your children's children. Therefore, in your worship of these teams and players, in your search for joy and for hope with each round of the season, this I proclaim to you, that there is a God who has created you to find joy and hope in him alone. A joy and hope that isn't only offered once a week or for a particular portion of the year, but it is a joy and hope that is constant, that is eternal. While you place your joy and hope in a weekly game of football, of which you have no true connection or control over, there is a God who cares for you and has control of this world. He is a God who gives hope to the hopeless and joy to the dissatisfied. Through his son Jesus who came into the world and resonates with our own experiences and emotions, we find eternal hope. Rather than seek joy and hope in the performance of others, we can have an everlasting joy and hope in God for ourselves. Therefore God calls us to repent of the false gods, the false joys, the false hopes we place in other people and other things in our life and come to him. For as we continue to enjoy the games, to support our team and to visit the stadiums, we can know that our joy and our hope rest in God no matter the outcome. Do you see what I'm doing there? trying to make that connection between our culture, what our culture values, and how the gospel can intersect with it. Let me try and do another one, uh, this time with, with education. People of Melbourne, I can see you are religious in your prioritising of the placement and placement of education. 
As I drove around your suburbs, I observed all sorts of schools, public, private, Christian, Catholic schools. I saw your large universities, the advertisement boards encouraging you to come to open days, the opportunity to enrol your children in schools from a young age and the public display of ATAR results for those in year 12. It is evident that you value education and the results of your students. It is clear that knowledge about our world is important to you and your family, something of high value to your city. May I proclaim to you that there is a God in whom you yourself may know, a God who has made himself known to humanity since the beginning of the world. This God is a God of all knowledge and in making himself known to us, we are also able to know and be known by him. While knowledge is of value in this world and in your city in which you live, as most of your car number plates say, the education state, there is greater value in knowing and worshipping a God who knows you. Like being deeply known through friendship and relationship, you are able to know God, be trained in the things of God and understand God and be understood yourself. This God calls on you to repent and seek him, to come to know him, to enable him to speak into your obsession with knowledge in this information age. Through his son Jesus, we are able to not only know intellectually the things of God, but more importantly be known in mind, in, in spirit and in heart with the one who knows all things. I, I hope you can see what I'm trying to do there and I hope it doesn't come across too trite and simplistic either. I've, I've tried hard not to, not to make that mistake. But in seeking to convey that the gospel speaks into the culture we live, we see that it, cross, it crosses cultural divides or things that may divide us. And so like the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God for us who are being saved. And so as the gospel crosses these cultural divides, it not only just crosses things that we value, but it can cross into social and political and, and other areas of life as well. And I think Paul gives us a good example here in Acts 17 of doing so. But that of course leads us to the final couple of verses of our passage where we see the reactions of the people. Some reactions don't affirm what Paul has said and other reactions lead to further conversation and, and others turn and, and believe. And we see these different reactions in our own life. Some may not really want to talk about aspects of faith or, or the story of Jesus and others may uh, react in negative ways to that. But others may quietly be affirmed or encouraged by that or, or even intrigued uh, with their interest peaked on it. Whatever the case may be, uh, these reactions are not in our control. And so, as Paul does, he continues the work of the Lord with his gospel glasses on. Uh, and, and may we do that 
uh, as well, have our gospel glasses on. For the point of the whole thing is that the gospel does cross cultures and it crosses cultures and impacts cultures. That Jesus and his story is a story that doesn't simply impact one particular part of society, one particular ethnic group, one particular nation or demographic or one particular subculture, but it crosses these divides and speaks into all of them, into the priorities, into the values in which we hold as individuals and as a group of people. So in this way, Jesus is a game changer because he brings a message of joy, of hope, of love, of satisfaction, of reconciliation, of restoration, of transformation to the world. And no matter what culture you are from or what people group you are from, he speaks into that in so many different ways. As we close this morning, uh, by turning towards communion, uh, I invite you to take a moment uh, to ponder this Gospel of Jesus, the story of what God has done through him. How does, how does it impact your life? And in particular, how does it impact the things that you value? The things that you value and, and hold on to tightly. Perhaps it's something I've mentioned this morning, perhaps it's something else. But in remembrance of Jesus, we come to communion to confess our sin and remember the forgiveness that he offers us. We often end up falling into sin, don't we, when we place our own values and priorities over the things of God, over God himself. And so with Jesus we find our values turned upside down. We commit again as we remember what God has done through him, through the cross, to remember to place him at the centre of our heart and of our being. For his blood is shed and his body is given for our joy and our hope. In celebrating communion this morning, we do so among believers throughout our city and across the world and, and in, from different parts of the world and from different cultures. And we do it together, marking a commitment, marking the commitment that God has made to us through his son Jesus by these elements of bread and juice. And so I encourage you to take communion in your own time this morning, as you are in your homes. Take time to reflect on your own values and the way in which Jesus impacts and transforms them. I'm going to close by reading that passage about the Lord's Supper from 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verses 23 to 26, and then I shall close in prayer and uh, bless you on your, on your day. It says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the, Je- the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given, given thanks, broke it, and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink 
as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you have done through your Son Jesus. We thank you this morning uh, for the cross on which he died, for his, for his body sacrificed for us, for his blood shed for us. Lord, we are uh, in awe and, and full of thankfulness uh, because of what you have done, the way in which you have restored us into relationship with you and give us an unending joy and hope for this life and the life to come. Lord, we are thankful that, um, that you are a God of all and that you have sent Jesus for all, uh, for all people and for all cultures. And Lord, we thank you for the example here of Paul in Athens as he observes, as he engages, as he connects. Lord, help us also to have our gospel glasses on in the conversation that we have with people that we may share your good news with others in word and deed. Lord, we thank you uh, for our time together this morning and I pray a particular blessing uh, this morning uh, on, our, on our people and our, those connected with RBC and checking out uh, our live stream this morning. Lord, may you be with them uh, today and this week uh, in this season. In Jesus' name, amen.